Yes, Lord, you transform. You make all things new, Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I feel to say, and I just want to say that the, thank you for pressing in to his presence. <laughs> because I see it like this, as you press into his presence. So he, he draws closer to you. You, you. you press those things aside, church, <laughs> so that Christ may enter in. <laughs> and there's nothing like having Christ enter in. I've talked about this God-sized void in your heart that only he can fill. <laughs> and that once he fills it, can't even put it to words. Just once he feels it, his presence is there and it resides there. The no vacancy sign is flashing in your hearts to where nothing else is allowed in. So allow him to reside in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Uh, at this time, I want to dismiss the kingdom, kingdom heirs, the uh, youth, their class and also the ladies small group where are you all meeting at sister Powell's office so thank you for that I'm excited for what's happening in in those places thankful for the teachers amen amen for all they do they they uh, put up with my children amen they put up with a lot of our children and they do it very well they they are very good at what they do and they have a heart and a desire for it amen amen uh, for the time that I have uh, before you tonight I want to first direct your attention to uh, the passage that I'll be focusing on for tonight. And I have been hooked, if you will. I've been, I've been uh, encompassed, if you will, uh, uh, with the, the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time. It's been, it's been in my thoughts. It's been in my prayers. It's, been, it's, just, it's just taken over me, if you will. And there, there are so many good nuggets, if you will. There's so many good nuggets of truth in the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus spoke to those who would hear, uh, that I could probably preach <clears throat> and teach about it for the next few years and still have left over after that. Amen? Amen. Uh, for tonight, I'm going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. And I'm going to be starting with verse number 1. Matthew, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. 
And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Amen. Uh, During the month of May and on these Wednesday nights, the the topic that will prayerfully be the focus is is God and culture. And the thought that I want to talk, uh, I want to kind of walk through tonight based on, uh, from this passage is, is this, and that is help me understand. Help me understand. So I wonder if we can just pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to come before you and worship you and learn more about your word in spirit and in truth. God, I pray right now for every hearer that is here tonight, Lord, that you would open their ears to understanding, Lord, that they would receive your word. Lord, help me to be a vessel for you. I want nothing more and nothing less, nothing more that I desire than to be a vessel for you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. If you are one that uh, likes to take notes, uh, the points that I am going to be bringing out from this text are this. Everyone's favorite commandment, what the commandment does not mean, and lastly, what the commandment means. Across Christendom as a whole, for for years upon years, the verse John 3.16 has seemed to be the gold medal verse. Seemingly beating out all of the 31,101 other verses to stay in first place. Preachers have preached it, teachers have taught it, and Sunday school students have memorized it. My kids have come home with that verse in their minds after learning it in Sunday school. They have memorized it as they have uh, gone about their day at school, at home. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you know what this verse says, I would likely see the greater majority of you, if not all of you, raise your hand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you're anything like me, I am not very good with references, but once I hear the, once I hear the first few letters of the verse, I'm like, ah, I know what that is, right? Are you there with me? Amen. Amen. I know there are many here today who, who have lots of other scriptures memorized, and, and, but, but I know that while I was growing up, even though I didn't grow up in the full truth, this verse was instilled in me from a very young age. I remember quoting verses like this. I remember quoting the Lord's Prayer in the church that I went to as a young kid and coming home and being like, guess what? Guess what I learned today? And, and, and I knew that by the end of it, there was going to be a pizza party for those who had it all memorized. Talk about a good incentive, right? <laughs> but in recent years, and the term I am going to use, I, I, I use somewhat loosely, but to make a point, in recent years, there has been some competition, if you will, with this verse. There's been some competition. Now, please know that scriptures do not compete with one another, so it's not the Bible competing with the Bible. It's, it's, it's man bringing the competition to it. So with that in mind, God did not compete with himself when he inspired writers to write what they wrote in the Word. But it's happened. The verse that has been competing with this especially in recent years, is verse 1 of Matthew 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. Moreover, 
those that quote it may not even know where it's found in the Bible. They may have heard it from somewhere else. They may have heard it from somebody that doesn't even believe in the Bible. When Christian parents tell their struggling teenage children they are hanging out with the wrong crowd, those teenagers might reach into their memory box and pull out this verse saying, Judge not that ye be not judged. I might have done that a few times growing up myself. Sorry, Lord. While in this first point of everyone's favorite commandment, I want to ask some questions. Does this verse mean that we are prohibited from exercising any discernment or judgment? Thank you. What does the Bible say about the verse that has been one to top the charts, if you? What does the Bible say about this verse that has seemingly topped the charts in recent years? This verse picked up some speed during a period known as postmodernism. A brief search on postmodernism says that postmodern religious systems of thought view realities as plural and subjective and dependent, hear that, dependent on the individual's worldview. Postmodern interpretations of, religious acknowledge, of religion acknowledge and value a number of diverse interpretations of truth, being, and ways of seeing. And one of the pillars that I want to talk about tonight from this postmodern idea uh, and of which they are built is tolerance. Tolerance is defined as an attitude of mind that implies non-judgmental acceptance of different lifestyles or beliefs. Tolerance appears to be new, but I will tell you tonight that it is nothing new at all. In looking back at, at the Old Testament, look at Solomon. God blessed Solomon with so much wisdom to discern matters of state and disputes within his kingdom. But as Solomon grew older, he began to marry more and more women. He began to do things outside of the will of God. With, with those marriages came their gods. With those marriages came their gods. We, we can say that Solomon, well, Solomon should have known better. What was he thinking? He should have lived better. But being tolerant, he opened the door of his heart and welcomed other gods. Early on, Solomon worshipped the one true God. But later in life, we read that Solomon's wives turned away his heart and turned his heart toward other gods. Solomon's wives influenced Solomon to build high places for these other gods. Solomon's wives influenced Solomon to burn incense and sacrifice to these gods. It twisted Solomon's belief. 
It all started with what? Tolerance of these gods. Allowing them in his house and near God's house. Solomon knew the words of Moses to whom God spoke, saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He knew that. Solomon had so much wisdom, as, as I shared, but it seemed as though this wisdom got in the way. His wisdom made him act, if you will, rather than follow what God wanted him to do. He acted first instead of praying first. Right? He saw, he saw the attraction that set before him. He's like, yep, I'm going for that. Meanwhile, God's like, don't, don't do it, Solomon. But Solomon chose not to listen. The same tolerance can be viewed through the eyes of religion. <clears throat> if, we, if we called a ceasefire to our fighting over religious beliefs, then, then sure, we would have peace and goodwill toward men. But, but here's the problem with that philosophy. Some religions actively promote the destruction of others not devoted to that specific religion. Some missionaries travel to these countries where Christianity is not allowed at all. And we pray for their protection as they, as they continue to go despite such threats. But with that, at the very heart of Christianity and the heart of God is the mission to reach the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It goes beyond any physical violence. It goes beyond any human. But it's the spirit behind the human. Remember, we don't wrestle against the person. We don't wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the principality, against the rulers of darkness, against what's behind the person. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He also says that he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up another way, the same is a thief and a robber. So I want to ask this just, just real quick. You, you, you may be in the sheepfold, and God may be standing at the door of that. He is the door. He is my shepherd. You may say that He is my shepherd, and I believe it, and you believe it. But what are you allowing to hop over the fence? Uh -huh. Hear me. Because, because yes, we have the protection of Jesus. He, 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 they've got to enter through Jesus, otherwise they're not allowed in. And I believe that He protects us. But, but sometimes, you know, we, if, if you can imagine the sheepfold being your mind... He enters in one way, but maybe you left a window open over here. Maybe you left a window open over here and you, and you hear something and, 
All of a sudden, the, the, the window opens a little wider, and then the wall begins to fall down over here. And so you, you've kind of compromised this area over here. Jesus is still at the gate, but you've compromised it over here. What is causing you to compromise this over here? What, what is causing this to fall apart over in this area? What, what is causing the, the, the sheepfold to, to break, if you will, in this, in this protection that God has for you? You see, this postmodern religious thought is incompatible with these two verses that I've shared and a host of others which I don't have time to share with you tonight. And this postmodern religious thought is, is namely known as religious tolerance. And I know we're, we're kind of getting into some interesting things here, but stick with me. Jesus was hoping his followers would know the need to follow him was the only way. When we sang tonight, not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what that means? It means if there's something that is in the way of what I need to get to you, help me to realize what it is first and then to, to put it away. You know, I, I love talking about this, and I seem to talk about it every time I get up here, but, but I'll talk about the, the podium in your life, the podium in your heart, if you will, right? And, and I've shared this with the youth a few times, and it's such a great picture because, you know, you've got, you've got first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth place. You've got, in sixth place, you've got your job. In fifth place, you've got your, you've got your kids. In, in fourth place, you've got your, ah, your, your spouse, uh, hopefully in some order like that. In, in third place, you've got this nice brand new car. In second place, you've got, I don't know, the food you like to eat. And, and in first place, you've got this thing that's been grabbing you in bondage for what, whatever that may be. Maybe it's an addiction or something along those lines. But, but where is Jesus on your podium? If he's not in the first place, then where is he? Where is he? Because, because if he's not there, he's not in the right place. <laughs> I'm sorry. There, there's no other way I can put it. He, he's just not in the right place. And sometimes we, we can all find ourselves getting busy with other things. We can find ourselves getting so busy in life that maybe we put Jesus on the back burner. We haven't forgot about him. But he's not at the, at the forefront of our mind. Now, now am I saying... You know, I, I was, I think Sister Vernon was talking with one of the, the kids in, in Sunday school about receiving the Holy Ghost, right? And she, she said, I used to ride my bike, and I would speak in tongues as I was riding my bike. And one little boy spoke up and said, how do you do that? Do you, don't you close your eyes? And she said, no, I, I keep my eyes open so I, so I can see where I'm going. So I'm not saying you have to get so caught up in the Spirit on, 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 the, on your drive to work, right? And things like that. You, you've got to do those things. But, but keeping Jesus at the very forefront of your mind means, means saying that, like, I, I'm going I'm to make sure this is okay with Him before I make this decision. I, I'm gonna, if somebody walks into my office, my first thought better be, Jesus, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to be? And He'll quicken you just like that, the more you draw to him, the more you continue to put him on that first place uh, in, in, in the podium of your life. That was free, by the way. <laughs> when, when, when Jesus spoke this during his Sermon on the Mount of, of judging not lest you be judged, we know it uh, was, as we know it, Jesus' intention was, was 
not tolerance of, of all faiths. Okay? Yes, we are called to reach those faiths, but not be those faiths. That's a part of that, that influence. That's a part of the, the, the tolerance says, well, I, I, I guess that's okay. I can, I can allow that in. But if it doesn't line up with the word, I, I, don't, I, 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 will, I will help the person give an understanding, but I, I don't want to be influenced otherwise. And they might have the same thought, but the word is the word is the word. <laughs> you can't argue with the word. We are called to reach those faiths, but not be those faiths. Now, here's, here's the truth, or a truth, if you will. A, a life without judgment, or discernment, rather, is impossible. Imagine it like this. Driving a vehicle on a road uh, without, uh, without lines, or let's say you're, you're driving on a vehicle and, and, and you... And, well, there's no road without lines unless you're driving on a minimum maintenance road, which I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's no fun, especially after a long range. So um, if you've ever driven during a snowstorm, things can get a bit edgy, right? To where you are gripping the steering wheel so hard that you start to lose feeling in your hands and your arms. They, they seemingly become so stiff that you just can't move them. I mean, you can hardly steer. You've got to steer with your whole body because your arms just aren't moving because you're so tense. You start to lose feeling. And we'll call this snowstorm snowmageddon, okay? It's a, it's a bad snowstorm, okay? You, you are driving through some hills. You are driving along some cliffs, these, these cliffs that are only two lanes so you can't see on the other side of it and you can't see anyway because it's snowing so much. You're trying to stay in your lane. You know that you, you, know that you need to have a, a certain amount of speed if you're, if you're coming down a hill. You know, there's times where I've, I, I, I used to work down on 72nd Street, and I would drive down 72nd Street, and there were some hills where you'd go down, and there was a stoplight at just, just about the top of the hill, and I knew that if I had to stop there, guess who wasn't making it up that hill? Me. <laughs> right? But, but you know that if you're, if you're driving up and down these hills that you've got to have a certain amount of speed to make it, down, or to make it back up again. So you've got to make, make sure that you, that you gain that speed going down so you can kind of slide up the hill, if you will, right? And you know, you need that certain amount of speed, but, but you don't want to go too fast that you can't stop. It's such a dilemma. These snowstorms are, are just something else. Like, oh, if I go too fast, I can't stop it. If I go too slow, I won't go. <laughs> Anyways. So all of a sudden, the, the snow begins to blow, and maybe there's a semi on your left, or, or there are other cars on your right, and it's getting impossible to see in front of you. Then, then your windshield wipers stop working. I know this is the worst case scenario, but, but stick with me. Your, your windshield wipers, they stop working so you can't see. As you travel down that highway, you can't see the lines on the side of the road. They're, they're covered in snow. The whole road is covered in snow. At this point, you may be thinking... Why didn't I stay home? <laughs> you know, I'll get back to that in a bit. <laughs> you, you think you know where the lines are, but, but so do the other 20 cars that are on the road. Chris, you and I travel the same way to work uh, pretty much every day, minus a few highways here and there. But, but we travel down 75, and sometimes Highway 75, it's a four-lane road, but it turns into a seven-lane 
especially when there's snow because you can't see the line. So there's a car here, 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 here. And, and, and then they just kind of go all over the place and you're like, oh, I guess I'm going to try to drive in, in this lane here even though I don't think it's a lane because I can't see the road. Y'all can laugh a little bit. It's okay. Um, you know, the, the, during the other seasons, minus a few heavy rains, there, there's a couple months where, uh, you know, that can be questionable, where, where the lines can't be seen. Right. Let me give you another example, and, and just, just for context here. I was, we were driving in Kansas City for the, uh, the five-fold ministry conference, and it was raining so bad. Like, I, I, we were driving the church van, number one, so I was driving kind of out of my element already, right? <laughs> and, and the rain began to fall, and, and the wipers were working pretty good, but the rain was falling so hard that, that you know, your, your headlights weren't working that well. It was, it was literally like a, a snow without the snow, but, and, and I was driving there, and I was probably white-knuckling it the whole time, and, and to the point where Bishop looks over me, he's like, you doing okay? And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, we just got to get there. <laughs> so I was so nervous, well, number one, because I had like, you know, five people with me, but, but I couldn't see where I was going. I couldn't see the lines. And once I did, I'm like, I sure hope I'm going the right way. But, but you know what I did look for during that time? Look for the signs. I looked for the way that I need to go. And I prayed a lot too. But as I prayed, the Lord began to open it up a little bit and, and make these little spaces in the rain, if you will, so, so, that, so that I could see. And I don't, know if, I don't know if they were actually spaces, but the Lord opened my mind anyway so that I could see. You see, the, 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 the lines on the roads here, the, the lines that I couldn't see or maybe you can't see, um, are not there to hem us in. They're not, they're not there to, to, to keep us in, okay? They're not there to, to keep us from being free. What are they there for? They're to keep us from colliding with others or, or getting into a wreck. Right. Religious tolerance promotes faith without lines. But it is just as dangerous as driving on a highway without lines. Because not only do you not know where you're going, nobody else does either. The lines that we set in what we believe, if you're writing something down, write this down. The lines that we set in what we believe keep us from colliding into others and from crashing head on into the judgment of God. So, so with that in mind, I, I want to move to our next point of what the commandment does not mean. It does not mean that there is no right or wrong. To proponents of religious tolerance, this verse teaches that there is no right or wrong. Everything is subjective. He says, she says. But this verse does not teach that. And neither does the rest of the Word of God, for that matter. At the base of Mount Sinai, God gave ten commandments to live by and those commandments drew a hard line between right and wrong. We can read that the first four deal with our relationship with God. You know, no other gods before me. No idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. While the, the last six deal with our relationship with others. Honor your mother and father. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't be a false witness. Don't covet. And in case you didn't know, God 
expects his people to live on the right side of that line. It's, it's where we can live our best life. Not, not maybe this life, this life may not be grand, but, but the life that is to come, eternal life, it's where we can have eternal life with him. It's where we can live as God desires us to live. It's where we can live according to his purpose through us. Another thing that this does not mean is that we are not accountable to God. We know that God sees every action. We know He hears every word. We know He hears every prayer that we pray. He knows our every thought and intention. He knows the thoughts of the heart, right? We know God will judge every sinful action, word, or thought. Every one of us will give an account for the deeds done in our bodies, whether good or bad. We will give an account for every idle word we speak. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, the, the word idle is I-D-L-E, but you could also probably interchange that with I-D-O-L. Because if you're speaking idle words, you're speaking words that are not of God, and furthermore, putting other things in the place of Him. But I've already been down that road, so I'll, I'll steer back to where I'm going right now. But, but every idle word that you speak. We will also stand before him one day and either hear him say what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I never knew you. Matthew 7, 1 does not contradict the whole of Scripture by giving us a free pass to sin without taking thought of the coming judgment both in this life and the life to come. Just as God is merciful, so He also is just. This is also a part of His nature. He is just. He made a way for us to be free from sin. In being just, He will not allow sin into heaven. According to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and can't look on iniquity. Or according to another version, the NLT, uh, God is pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. God is so holy, He cannot stand the sight of evil. He cannot stand the sight of sin. A time is coming when God will eternally judge sin. Right now is the time to re-examine your heart and make it right with Him. When I think about everything that is trying to entice or deter God's people to get them off track, there's a lot. I don't know if, there is, I don't know if there's anyone that can deny that. If you can, I'd, I'd like to have a discussion with you afterwards. You know? we, we, can, yes, you can, we should deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. But, but to know that there are still things there it doesn't necessarily mean that you're denying that. They, they are still there. You know, the devil's no dummy, right? He's not going to tempt you in ways that you've never been tempted before. He's not going to entice you with ways that you've never been enticed with before. You know, whether it be something physical or, or something emotional, uh, you know, in, some, in how you feel or something psychological in how you think, they're, they are there. They, they are there, church. But, but here you go. Look to the one who makes all things new. 
Amen. He, he cares for you. He makes you new. Jesus makes all things new. Amen? Amen. So now that we know what this commandment does not mean, I want to uh, spend the rest of our study tonight on what it does mean. It does mean that we are not to have a critical or judgmental spirit toward others. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I'll turn there myself. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse number 9. Which says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, and thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. When Jesus told this parable, there were likely Pharisees in the crowd. There were likely publicans in the crowd. When Jesus said Pharisee, the Pharisees, oh, oh, they, you had their full attention. He's getting ready to say something good. They may have smiled and puffed out their chest and said, yeah, we do. We do do those things. Um, and they may have turned up their noses, if you will. He, he, then Jesus, when, when Jesus said publican, they all, oh, publican? What good are those people? They knew what these two titles meant. They, they knew that, you know, Pharisee, they thought they knew anyway, the Pharisee meant good guy and publican meant bad guy. Pharisee equaled saint and publican equaled sinner. To them, it was just that simple. The Pharisees cut ties with and separated themselves from everyone else. They would not perform certain tasks as they thought it would defile them. They would not do certain things. They did not talk to anyone who did not keep the law as closely as they did. However, throughout the Gospels, Jesus had more trouble with reaching the self-righteous than reaching the sinners. While the Pharisees did begin with a pure desire to keep God's law, Somewhere along the way, those motives were lost. And they began to seek the praise of men rather than give praise to God. In this parable, the Pharisee was visiting the temple to pray. 
so they could check the box saying, look what I did. Yep, I did this. I gave up my tithes. I fasted a couple days this week. I prayed every day. I read the word every day. Uh, you know, I, I did all these great things. Yep, I did all that stuff. Yes, they prayed, which is good. Yes, they stood to pray, the Bible says. And there was nothing wrong with that as that was a common stance to pray. Yes, they fasted, which is a good thing to do. Yes, they tied. There was nothing wrong with the list of things the Pharisee did. Uh, the list of things the Pharisee did. It was good that he did not cheat. It was good that he did not commit adultery. It was good that he fasted faithfully. It was good that he gave of his tithes faithfully. But when... Where the Pharisee crossed the line from separation to self-righteousness was what he did after that in the temple, in the, in the presence of God, judging his sinless life, seemingly, against that of the publican's sinfulness. These two people could not have been more different, as I've said already. The Pharisee did live right and shun wrong. The publican did shun right and live wrong. The publicans were also known as, as tax collectors. And, and let me tell you, in their time, in Rome, tax collectors were very busy people. There was a tax for everything. Yes, everything. Anything you can think of, they taxed, e even to the point of charging a poll tax, just in case they missed something. The poll tax would cover anything that they missed, which, which would cover the privilege of living. If you want to live, you've got to pay a tax. Tax collectors were seen as criminals, right alongside robbers and murderers. Hmm. Not because of who they were, but because of what they did. But something, something struck the inside of the tax collector that drove him to the temple when it was time to pray. He looked up at the beauty of the temple and how ornate it was. Then he chose a place away from others, but not for the same reason as the Pharisee, and he bowed his head. <laughs> he bowed his head. You see, the Pharisee thought no one was worthy to be around him, whereas the publican thought that he was not worthy to be around anyone. Just as the publican's choice to be away from others was different, just as the publican's lifestyle was far different as well, so was his prayer. There were no good deeds that the publican could parade before God. Never had he felt so unholy than in the presence of a holy God. Though he could not lift his eyes toward heaven, he bowed down, beat his chest with his fist, and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There were no excuses given to the way he was living or what he had done. He knew that his repentance was going to cost him. He knew that if he had asked forgiveness, forgive me, be merciful to me, a sinner, he knew that his repentance would cost him something. It would cost him his life. Knowing God was going to change his life and knowing he was going to change his ways, he prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What this paints for the reader is, a very, is the very principle of Matthew 7. We are not to have a critical or judgmental spirit, but rather one that understands.
God did not sit any one of us on a judgment bench spiritually and give us a judge's black robe so that we could cast judgment and critical glances at our brothers and sisters. We must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Not just here, but, but in the store, in the school, in traffic, and anywhere else you might go. We are called to search our hearts and make sure that we are right with Him. I know that I am a sinner saved by grace. Do you know? I know that without Him I would be nothing. I would have nothing. I would not be here today. Do you realize that? God in His mercy pulled me from where I was and brought me into His marvelous light. Oh, hallelujah. And I'm very thankful for it. You see, if we do have a critical and a judgmental spirit, we will be judged by the same measure of criticism and judgment with which we judge others. If we are slow to show mercy to others, God will be slow to show mercy to us. If we hoard our forgiveness toward others, if we keep it to ourselves, so God will do the same to us. If we are judgmental, we will receive the same measure in which we judge. The next we can learn regarding what it means is to be careful to not judge others more harshly than ourselves. Jesus paints what could be received as a humorous picture of what this means beginning with verse 3 of Matthew 7. And reading from the New King James, we read, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I can imagine that most of us have had an eyelash or, or a speck of dust or, or something that has gotten into our eye at some time, right? You know, if you, if you work with any kind of material and, you know, there's sawdust in the air or something like that or maybe a metal shaving or something, God forbid, that hurts a lot, but, but you've had something in your, maybe fiberglass or something like that. There, there have been too many times myself, and I don't know if I just rub my eyes a lot when I sleep or what, but, but those gnarly lashes always seem to enter my eye at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Or at least that's when I wake up to it. I'm already delirious at the time. I'm like, what is happening right now? To the point I wake up my wife, I'm like, babe, you got to help me. i got to get this thing out of my eye. <laughs> and we're both just delirious and whatnot. But, 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 so so there's, I don't really get much help at that time, but bless her soul anyway. But, so, so needless to say, one, one can get very bothered by something in their eye regardless of the time that it happens. Oftentimes, it does not take much to remove that foreign object from your eye, but have you ever seen anyone with a two-by-four coming out of their eye? Good, nobody raised their hand. <laughs> as strange a sight as that would be, it would be stranger to see a person trying to help someone else remove an eyelash from their eye if they had a two-by-four sticking out of their own eye. Jesus admonished his hearers to search their own hearts first, to seek to understand. Help me understand. To seek to find where we may need some help. If we don't, then Jesus refers to those as hypocrites. But if we do, and we take care of that plank in our eye, we will be able to see clearly to remove the speck 
out of our brother's eye. I decided to, to, to title tonight's Bible study, Help Me Understand, because sometimes, and we can all find ourselves here at times, but where we get so caught up again in, in, in what so-and-so is doing, that we forget to take a step back and look at ourselves. Not to say that we should not have care for that person, but oftentimes when we think about it at that point, it's not because you know, we, we have care for them. It's for you know, a judgmental reason, I'll just say it. But we should have compassion for others. But, but we must first take a necessary step back and search our hearts. And after taking that step in, in, in searching ourselves and searching our motives and searching why, why are we thinking about that person? Why, why are we thinking about so-and-so? We begin to see others as Jesus sees others. We begin to see others as, as Jesus sees us. Removing the plank from your eye will allow you to experience Christ-like compassion for others. Compassion will begin to stir within us. For those that maybe don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. Grace begins to grow within us. Mercy begins to grow within us. That which you have received to share with others. God sees you now just like He saw you way back then. God desires to see others, or for you to see others, as He sees you. And what this comes down to is this. Where, where is your heart when you see someone falling or struggling? Where is your heart when so-and-so shares a mistake with you that they made this week? Are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Or are you quick to speak and slow to listen? You know, I am, I am thankful for those people that sit back and listen when I need them to. I am thankful for Jesus, who also sits back and listens. And boy, sometimes he has to do a lot of listening with me. But he shows me that same patience, grace, and mercy that I, show, uh, that I must show others. He shows that to me so, so that I can exemplify that and, and be a mirror of his image to others. As we come to a close here today, stand with me. And I want us to pray together that, that God would help us to see more clearly, to understand so that we can help pick up our brothers or sisters if they fall, so that we can see others as Jesus sees us and sees others. Lord, we thank you for your word which shows us just what we need. I thank you for your understanding that you have provided us. Lord, we thank you for walking beside us and always having an ear to hear. Lord, I pray for the hearts of those here today, for those that are watching online and for those that will tune in later, that you would continue to give understanding to those who seek us. Seek it. Help us understand others. Help us understand how you desire us to be in the world we live in to our neighbors, co-workers, family, friends. This world needs you as you desire to see that none perish. So I pray the same desire rests on us today. We thank you for your word, which has the power 
to save. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. And I wonder if we can just clap our hands to the Lord and just thank Him. Just thank Him for His truth. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God bless you all in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here tonight for our midweek Bible study. And I pray the rest of your week goes well. And I look forward to seeing you all Sunday. Amen.